One of those busy days where you look around and everything is, uh, well, it just keeps on going. You can't say everything has changed, everything is really, everything just keeps on becoming more of what it already was. So that means that the stupid has now squared. Tomorrow it'll be cubed and then, you know, you're on your own for the weekend. But it is one of, oh, I see Robbie Robertson died. Okay, one of those, he was in, uh, I can't think of a, Robbie, I, he's one of those guys where you know his songs. You've probably heard him 10,000 times, but 80 years old. We are entering a time, by the way, where we are going to be losing a whole lot of people that um, you're not going to want, you're not going to be able to handle. Robbie Robertson, to me, okay, it's yeah, Robbie Robertson. I know who he is. When you start losing someone like a Paul McCartney, I'm going to need some time. You're going to have to leave me alone. You're going to have to, I'm going to have to take some time off. But they're all going to go. That's the horrible thing about life as it is. Anyway, like I say, we've got a lot to, to get to. I just, where to start? I've got some amazing audio. I've got some amazing audio of the historic Rinjon Pierre. I've got uh, some audio of Roger. Let's, let's start with Roger Stone. Let's start with the Trump sycophants i i voted for donald trump in 2016 sort of reluctantly i live in maryland so it doesn't really matter but i came around to the fact that i uh, i knew tells you what i know i knew that hillary diane rodham clinton jr the third was going to win she was going to be the 45th president of the united states and i had one child did i have one child no i was going to have i think the kid was on the way and I wanted to be able to tell that kid in the future that I did everything anybody could do in opposition to Hillary Clinton's presidency. And so I was, went from going to write in one of my cat's names to voting for Donald Trump. And I'm glad that I did. He won. I, I remember that election night. It was like, oh, my God, can you believe what's going on? But he was a much better president than I ever thought he would be. Way better president than I ever thought he would be. And I say this as a, a fan of The Apprentice. I say this as a guy, I met him for the first time right after he announced he came to Maryland and did a uh, fundraising dinner or an annual dinner for the Maryland Republican Party. The only time the Maryland Republican Party wasn't completely worthless. They got Donald Trump to come to a fortuitous timing. It had been planned for some time, but they got him out there. And uh, he was, a, like I say, a much better president than I thought he would be. I do wish that every once in a while he would have turned off the social media just for a bit. I do wish that every once in a while at a press conference, I enjoyed the hell out of the press conferences, don't get me wrong, but every once in a while, instead of just being a jackass, you just say, that's a stupid question. I'm not going to answer. Next question. Move on. Rather than engage with the reporters on the terms that the reporters wanted to engage with the president on, he could have told them no and set the terms of engagement in a much more clear way. I would like to have done that. I also would have liked to have him not turn the presidency over to Fauci in the past year and shut down the government and then whatever, whatever, whatever. That being said, I happily voted for him again in 2020 because he was a much better president than I thought he would be. He didn't do everything he said he was going to do. He didn't build the wall. He didn't 
even try to address birthright citizenship, but it was better than what I thought it would be. And so I was, ha- and Joe Biden, I've always known that Joe Biden was a, a short-tempered, evil little man, and it was abundantly clear that he was senile. Now, it's tough with Joe. You got to always balance. Is it because Joe's senile? Or is it because Joe's stupid? No, Joe's been senile for probably the last five years, getting worse and worse, but he's been dumb his whole life. So it's tough to know which one you can ascribe any of his actions or sentences to, but it's usually a little from column A, a little from column B. Now that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, I recognize that's a controversial statement with some people, but there's only one president at a time, and there's one person in that office right now, and it's not Donald Trump. Uh, Ever since then, the idea of Donald Trump pulling a Grover Cleveland has been floating out there. It's understandable. He feels wronged. He feels slighted. I have no doubt that he, despite literally everybody in his orbit telling him otherwise, I have no doubt, judged by the way that he talks about it constantly, that he believes that he had the 2020 election stolen from him. In many ways, it was, but stolen legally. And the government, in a law he signed into being, dumped like $120 billion into election integrity, making sure that voting from home during COVID was easier. In many ways, he signed his own political death certificate. So if he wants to find somebody to blame, he could look to Fauci, he could look to himself. But... He did. It was the CARES Act, right? He signed that, and that, that threw just a ton of money at the uh, stay-at-home voting. Democrats exploited the hell out of it, whether they committed fraud in reality or fraud in principle or just made it so easy to vote that uh, everybody who otherwise wouldn't have voted just filled out the paperwork and uh, while the person at the door waited for him and gave to him. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who, you know, who does what? It's the L, it's the W at the end. You get the W, you're the president. You get the L, you're not. Donald Trump got the L. So I knew it was a matter of time that he was going to run again. And here he is. And this time he's got a much more formidable opponent than he did at least this early stage uh, in uh, 20. 15. He said, well, wait a second. Wait a second. When Donald Trump entered the race, he would. Yeah. When Donald Trump entered the race, he was down in single digits and it was a Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush never had any love. Jeb Bush was the okay Jeb Bush. Hey, here's a whole bunch of people you don't really know anything about. And then you go, wait, I recognize that name. That's why polling this far out is so ridiculously a waste of time. Like, yeah, I know. I know Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. He's the uh, he's a Bush, right? Yeah. No, I like Jeb. Have you listened to Jeb speak? No, never. I don't know what Jeb, Jeb, Jeb isn't the guy who was president, right? That's the kind of level of engagement people have in a year and a half before a general election. So that when people started to pay attention, Jeb fell the way of the dodo and Scott Walker dropped out before anybody could vote. That should not surprise anybody. That happens all the time. You look back 2008, John McCain was a known commodity, but people didn't want known commodities. Didn't want known commodities. So they immediately John McCain's floor dropped out from underneath him. 
I dropped out from it was gone. He was I remember the famous stories of John McCain being spotted by reporters walking through Reagan National Airport, going to campaign events in Iowa, New Hampshire, carrying his own luggage, dragging his own luggage along alone. He was alone. Because he couldn't afford a staff. He ended up being the nominee. He was a horrible nominee and history records that he got his rear end handed to him, but it just lets you know that at this point in a primary, it doesn't matter what the polls say. The polls change wildly. Ask President John Kerry. Ask President Howard Dean. Remember how Howard Dean was in? <laughs> Howard, remember Howard Dean had the whole thing? Oh, it's Howard Dean. He, he's running a 50-state strategy as a running for the Democratic nomination, but he just had so much money. Everybody was getting behind Howard Dean that he started running campaign ads in places that weren't that were like the last states to have primary votes. And like he would have, if he was going to be around, then he would have sewn it up. But he was already running a general election campaign, and it didn't work out for him. He lost in Iowa, he lost in New Hampshire, and then he screamed, and that was it. One bad microphone moment. And he was done, thank God, because he turned out, everybody knew he was kind of a lefty and uh, a nutty lefty. But ever since he became like an MSNBC contributor, he went absolutely nuts. You're like, thank God. You're like, just like, like I, I'm not a big fan of Mitch McConnell, but I will forever be grateful for the existence of Mitch McConnell because Merrick Garland is not currently a justice on the Supreme Court. Were it not for Mitch McConnell... Word for if anybody else probably were in charge of Republicans in Congress. I don't know that they could have taken the heat that Mitch McConnell took. I don't know that they would have taken the heat that Mitch McConnell took. And we likely would have Merrick Garland sitting on the Supreme Court. So when you look at this election right now, judging what's going to happen by what's happening now is folly. That being said, I am a big fan of most of our fire, our side, everybody on our side, aiming their shots at the other trench rather than down our trench. Not a big fan of having to worry about whether or not the person next to you is going to shoot you. I'm worried about the, the guy on the other side of no man's land or well, I guess the, the nondescript biped on the other side of no person's land or whatever the hell the left calls it now. So when I see the attacks on Ron DeSantis, now this is weird because I've had many an argument with people in the Trump orbit. And a lot of people in the Trump orbit are financially dependent on Trump. They're not, he's not paying them. He, they are making money off of people because of their proximity off of Trump. They're getting jobs, whatever it is. They're running super PACs. They're getting contractors and contributor jobs and whatever whatever it is they are fully dependent on being in trump's orbit and trump being in a position to matter i wish trump would do sort of a you know if you're not helping me you're hurting me kind of purge but he, he he just i don't think he sees it as a problem so you got a lot of people, and I've had arguments with them, like well, they're saying you, you, Ron DeSantis, and uh, whoever else is criticizing. It's always Ron DeSantis because that's who they're most afraid of. But they're criticizing, is attacking Trump, and that's just not going to fly with Trump supporters. 
That's just, it's a wrong tactic. It's a huge mistake. Stop talking. Stop doing like, Okay, fine. Like, I, I get it. You don't like it. I get it. You don't like it. But then why is it okay when Donald Trump does it to DeSantis supporters? Because whoever ends up being the nominee is going to need the votes of the other people's supporters. Asa Hutchinson's two family members who support him, you're going to need their votes if you're going to plan to win the general election, which ultimately I would like to think is everybody's goal, is it not? So if it's wrong and you say, well, Ron DeSantis shouldn't be criticizing Donald Trump, he can't be criticizing Donald Trump, he's just going to alienate Trump supporters, why is there no correlating, well, Donald Trump then shouldn't be lying about Ron DeSantis, shouldn't be, yeah, shouldn't be saying that uh, Andrew Cuomo was a better governor related to COVID, things like that. Maybe you don't do because eventually, if Trump is the nominee, theoretically, if he has a strategy to win the general election, I assume it would involve getting as many votes as humanly possible. And since humans are the people supporting other candidates running for president, their votes count just as much as anybody else's that you'd want their votes. Why is there no such concern? And there is no good answer to that other than they've got their orders. Not allowed to talk about Donald Trump. You can't criticize Donald Trump, but you have to criticize everybody else because that's what Trump wants, anybody he sees as a threat. So along those lines, Roger Stone was giving an interview, some podcast, I don't know what it is, doesn't matter. And he said something so patently ridiculous that I have to play it for you because it's just one of those things where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Now, Roger Stone is not somebody I'd personally look to if I'm trying to fill, you know, the Bibles full of tr political truths. It's not somebody I'd go to for the, the truth. He is a political operative. He's a political animal. There's absolutely a place for him in every political campaign, and people like him in every political campaign. It's just not somebody you'd say, hey, uh, I'm going out of town. Would you, I don't know, check on my, water my house plants? Probably not the way you, if you want the house plants to live. So when you hear this, I want you to pay particular attention to the money aspect. He's still, he's trying desperately to smear Ron DeSantis. I'm sure there's plenty to smear Ron DeSantis on, but this ain't one of them. This is like a, an attack that is, it's an insult to the intelligence of the people listening to it. So now I want to play you this Roger Stone audio and show you something that is counterproductive and an insult to the intelligence of people who not only are fans of Ron DeSantis, but are fans of Donald Trump, are fans of anybody, are fans of reality. And it's just a common sense thing. You know, I don't, I don't care who you vote for as long as it's not a Democrat. I don't care who you vote for. If you're, if you're the one person out there who goes, man, I wish Larry Hogan would get in the race. Well, if you're that person, hi, Larry Hogan. But uh, otherwise, I just, I honestly don't care. But if you have, and I have the same problem with Democrats, I have the same problem with Joe Biden in the White House. If you have such a great case to make, why do you have to lie? If all the facts are on your side, why do you have to lie? And they lie. If Joe Biden's life is so impressive, why does he have to lie about it? 
Right? He's been, he was a United States senator longer than, I don't know, the life expectancy was 100 years ago. That's an accomplishment in and of itself, that he was there and basically a feet siller and, or a seat filler and a feet siller. Well, there's a fetish for you. But he was basically a, a seat filler and had one thing that he hung his hat on throughout his, he tried to stop Clarence Thomas. From getting on the Supreme Court, but that didn't work out. All the lies in the books. and When you partner with Teddy Kennedy to say, you're wrong with women, knowing that Tara Reid exists now just makes it even more sickening. But you you probably don't have a whole lot of case to go. The only other thing he hung his hat on as, he always said he was a foreign policy expert, but frankly, the the, uh, federal government, the Congress, has little to nothing to do with foreign policy. And uh, even his allies have said he's been notoriously wrong on everything related to foreign policy his whole life. But he, he claimed to have been the author of the, uh, the crime bill, the 1994 crime bill. It was a big deal. Democrats were super proud of it at the time. It ended up being something that Joe Biden had to apologize for when he ran for president in 2020. Why? Because Democrats had decided that punishing criminals was now the real crime. Punishing criminals was the real crime. And they ran around saying mass incarceration, mass inca- particularly mass incarceration of black men. There was no concern as to whether or not the black men who were incarcerated were guilty or not. <laughs> Didn't matter. Nobody at all on the left was concerned with, say, a little crazy group of people called the victims of those criminals, which were also, you're, you're much more likely to be a victim of a crime from somebody who looks pretty damn close to you than anything else. doesn't matter what you look like, what you see reflecting back upside down to you in the spoon as you eat your morning cereal. If you are going to be a victim of a crime, the odds are 80 to 90% that the person who does whatever it is is going to look a hell of a lot like you, just like you, as a matter of fact. Nope, Democrats don't care about that either. They decided that people should not be in prison. Why? Because they love to pander based on race. The alternative would be to put forth real policy solutions and they don't really like to talk about what they want to put forth they just prefer to sneak it in or have courts decree it to be so the uh the left is now out there lying and that's what they do we don't have to be like that we do have the truth on our side if you don't have the truth on your side if the truth won't do then maybe you need to i don't know rethink your tactic That brings us back to Roger Stone, his podcast interview, talking about Ron DeSantis. Roger Stone owes Donald Trump a lot. He pardoned him. And he, uh, Roger makes a lot of money off of the proximity to Trump. And I imagine a whole bunch of candidates who are favorable to Trump for various offices, they... They contract with Roger Stone. It'd be foolish not to. And, you know, frankly, you needed somebody. If you're running for a big enough office, you kind of need somebody like Roger Stone. You need somebody to put thumbtacks on the seats of your opponents. But there are ways to do it that don't look absurd and ways to do it that do look absurd. And this way is absurd. We'll talk about it after, but I assume you'll be able to spot it when he says it. I have a very good friend in Palm Beach, a great guy. Older guy, retired, made some serious money in the construction industry. He gave $30,000 to the friends of Ron DeSantis. He was doing that to support the re-election of Ron DeSantis. 
He now finds, finds that that money got, uh, that organization had a change of its name to some generic name, right. you know, people for, for, for uh, the American way, who knows? <laughs> Truth, justice in the American way. And then that money was transferred to the never stand down PAC. Well, that's not how, how he wanted his money spent. He, he doesn't want his money spent opposing Donald right. Trump. He contributed to Ron DeSantis' re-election. At least that's what he thought. <laughs> Did you catch it or not? He contributed $30,000. He wanted to re-elect Ron DeSantis. But now this money is somehow miraculously through a series of banking Magic. I don't know who the accountant is here. Maybe it's David Copperfield. But it's now gone to DeSantis for president. The only problem is, and it's a big problem, is logically. Ron DeSantis was reelected last year. So theoretically, this donation, if it was to help, in fact, with the reelection of Ron DeSantis, would have taken place in 2022, maybe 2021, but at a minimum, 2022. Ron DeSantis is term limited for governor. That's it. He's got his one term in. Now he's in his second term. He can't run for governor again. So there's no way on God's green earth that this donation to reelect Ron DeSantis, unless this guy is a special kind of stupid, came after the 2022 election. Right? He's just won re-election. I want to make sure he gets re-elected again in a state where he can't get re-elected again. I want to hear $30,000. Doesn't make any sense, does it? It makes zero sense. So then that leaves you with only the possibility that this money was given before the 2022 election, in which case it was spent on the 2022 election, making everything there that Roger Stone is saying make zero sense whatsoever. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm sure, I don't live in Florida, but I'm sure there are plenty of things that you can go and complain about Ron DeSantis about. But this one doesn't make any sense, right? You could, you could even lie and say and go about the curriculum. Oh, he doesn't want black history taught. He doesn't want this. He's uh, saying there's good stuff in slavery. You can make that lie. At least it, it's sort of based in something that on its face, if you don't read the curriculum or even just that one page with that one sentence in it, you could go, eh, I really shouldn't. You, know, you take it completely out of context compared to the rest of the 200 pages. You go, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. What's going on here? Ron DeSantis owes me an explanation. But this thing, if you just think about it logically, I gave money to reelect Ron DeSantis and it went to his presidential campaign. How's that possible? The committee to reelect Ron DeSantis governor of Florida no longer exists after the 2022 election. There's no point to it. Now, maybe your solicitation for donation got lost in the mail somewhere, and right when you're filling out the Christmas cards, you go, wait, wait, what is this in the mail? They're asking for money for Ron DeSantis, and you unthinkingly and unknowingly go, you know what, I'm going to break off 30 k just for the hell of it. Maybe. I doubt it. Seems impossible. Seems improbable. There aren't too many self-made multi-millionaires who can afford to break off 30k and give it to a politician who are also wildly stupid at the same time it just doesn't happen all that much 
But it's possible, I suppose. But if you notice, Roger Stone doesn't give the guy's name. Why not? Because maybe he, I don't know, Unicorn McBoatface or something like that. Like I don't know what this person's name would be. A good way to spot a lie is people get very specific about things that can't be checked. But they're not specific at all. They're vague. They avoid completely things that can be checked. They tell you, oh, he lives in Palm Beach. Made a lot of money in the construction industry. Down there. Very successful person. Loves Ron DeSantis. Wrote $30,000 check. No name. Nothing. Nothing. Now, this person should be, if, if it's true, <laughs> or they cut this check late, or whatever. If there's, if there's a truth to this story, whatever it could be, I can't imagine what it could be for reasons I just laid out. But if there is a truth to this story, this person should be pissed. This person should be very upset. This person should then go public. Should they not? And go, hey, wait, if you really want to, if you're a good friend of Roger Stone's and you really want Donald Trump to win the nomination, here's a perfect opportunity to say, this guy's running some kind of scam on people. And we got, I want my $30,000 back. Think of the news stories. My God, that would dominate MSNBC's news cycle for that day. Major DeSantis donor demands refund, claims misappropriation of funds. Hell, there's probably some blogger for Joy Reid already got that saved in their drafts. They're just waiting for somebody to step forward. I say there are plenty, and I talking about the the Trump people in Trump's orbit. Why is that okay? Why is that okay? Why is saying that Andrew Cuomo was a better governor during COVID than Ron DeSantis was? How how is that okay? But if you dare say anything that could be interpreted as being less than absolutely favorable to Trump, you're running risk of alienating every single Trump supporter. I deal with it. I get the emails. I I see the tweets. I'm just honest. I hate hypocrisy. I don't care who does it. But you you sit there and you, you, you say something like, this just doesn't make any sense. And they come after you. Now, oh, dare you? Can't do this. What are you doing? What are you? you're a sellout? You're a this. You're a that. You're the other thing. And like, all right, look, I, I'm not going to get invited to your Christmas party. That's fine with me. I I don't care. I just find it much easier to remember the truth, and to say what I really believe, and remember what I really, you know, like if I'm going to adjust what I say. If I'm Bill Clinton, who made his point of. Being able to identify, quote unquote, identify with everybody he was to any audience he was talking to under any circumstances, he found a way to identify with them. He was always full of it. He didn't care, but he found a way to identify them. If I found a way to identify with people, and I found you know, like this is what they want to hear. This is what people want to hear. So I'll just say it to them. Well, at some point in the future, it's going to be inconvenient, and I'm going to say something else if it's not what I believe. I find it much easier just to say what you believe because the truth is a much easier story to remember. And I say that not as a saint. I'm not patting myself on the back. In my life, I've lied plenty. And you do. You run around in your teenage years and your 20s, and you're going, okay, 
you lie to make yourself look cool, you lie to whatever, and then you go, well, who did I tell which lie to? And you kind of forget. And every once in a while, you come across somebody who looks at you with a little bit of a cross eye and goes, didn't you say, I thought you said last month that it was this, and now you're saying it's that. Like, uh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. That's not. It's just easier to, the truth is a much easier story to remember. So just remember that. Nobody, nobody running for president, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, on down to whoever thinks they're holier than thou, none of them are unable to take a bath because they can't sink in water. None of them are holy. None of them are perfect. They're all people, and most importantly, and never forget this, they're all politicians. Every single one of them is a politician. You go, oh, no, 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 no. This one isn't a politician. If you're running for president, you're a politician. If you've been president, you're a politician. If you've run for governor of California, no matter how badly you got your rear end handed to you, you're a politician. That's just the way the world works. If you're trying to convince people to give you their vote, you're a politician. That's what politicians do. You should make them work their asses off to get your vote. Blind loyalty to a politician is insane. Blind loyalty to any politician is insane because they never give it back. They never give it back. You've got to hold them to their feet to the fire. And if you're lucky, you'll get a politician that you agree with 60% of the time. That'll be a good one. 60% of the time. And if you're really lucky, that 60% of the time, they'll do maybe 10% of that if they get into office. Why? Because that's all they can do. That's the way our government is set up. Our government is not set up for sweeping dramatic changes constantly. Not yet. Democrats will screw it up and try and turn the Senate into the House with fewer members and get rid of the filibuster, and then it will be. But until then, we are in a place where maybe the first 100 days a president can get a couple of agenda items through. Not super big ones, maybe one big one, a couple small-sized ones, and then it's already into the midterm cycle. That's why Donald Trump did what he did, but he didn't do a whole lot. If you look at it, he didn't do a whole lot. And actually, if you look at it from an economic standpoint, before COVID, things were obviously much better than they are now. But they were much better than they are now, largely because Democrats couldn't get what they wanted done. The government not being able to do bad things is almost the best that we could do. I know, you're sitting there and you're gripping your steering wheel. What about the Trump tax cuts? What about, those were good. Those were positive for the economy and and all, all together. But not particularly good for the middle class. Why do you mean everybody got a tax? Everybody did get a tax cut. But if you're making $50,000 a year and you get a $1,000 tax cut, that's good. That's good. You get to keep more of your money. That's awesome. But if you go $1,000 divided by, well, let's just say $1,000 divided by 26, assuming that you have, you're paid every two weeks by 26, that's not a whole lot of money per pay period. It's just not. It's $38.46 per pay period. Great. 
But you will eventually, and very quickly in short order, get used to that money. I think one of the mistakes that Trump made in 2020 was running on what he'd done rather than what he'd do. Elections are about what you're going to do next. Elections are not generally rewards for good behavior in the past. George H.W. Bush would have won in a walk in 1992 if it was about things he'd done and how wonderful it was. It was, what did you do? You lied about taxes, and now what are you going to do going forward? He said, I've read Saddam Hussein. Okay, great. Donald Trump talked a lot about he's going to finish the wall, which was an acknowledgement that he didn't build the wall, and then he was going to, that he gave us tax cuts. But what are you going to do next? That's what you got to focus on as a candidate. I'd like to see all the candidates talk about what they're going to do. What a nice change of pace that would be. I want to shift gears now to just show you how desperate Democrats are. Because we got to, like I say, we got to, every once in a while, there needs to be some discipline in our trench, but our enemy is in the other trench. We shouldn't lose sight of that. Fox News reporting, and this is, of course, typical. They don't want you to, the Democrats, they always talk about transparency. You listen, you listen to whatever it is they say they're doing. They're doing the exact opposite. Whatever it is they're accusing Republicans of doing is what they actually do. The fascism, it's fascism. We must do everything we can to make sure that uh, the Republicans don't win this election. And they're never talking about, you know, and vote and win the election. It's they must do everything they can to cheat. Voting is sacrosanct. We need a piece of legislation that protects the right to vote. Hey, all right, yeah, well, how about a piece of legislation that protects the right to vote and, you know, something crazy like, I don't know, protecting the integrity of the vote? Something is not, a you know, fingerprints, DNA, retina scans, gate assessment. No, something like, I don't know, reaching in your pocket and pulling out a photo ID, a state-issued photo ID. No, no, we can't do that. Can't do that. That's absurd. Why? How? Well, because it disenfranchises black people. How? It just does. So you're saying black people can't get photo ID? No, that's not what we're saying. Then, then what are you saying? It disenfranchises black people. How? Don't. <laughs> if you have to ask, you just don't know. That's how you know you got these people. <laughs> well, you just don't get it. No, we don't get it. Find me a black person without a photo ID. Hunt down the 10 people in the country who can't get their hands on a photo ID, right? Hunt those people down. Track them down and get them photo IDs. And you would solve the problem and make their lives immeasurably better. At a minimum, they'd be able to get hammered now legally. Open a bank account. Get a job. Travel. Travel. Do all those sorts of things that we privileged few who can manage to navigate the complicated system that we all navigate when we're 16 years old get a photo ID from the state. Damn it. I just, I love that. We must guarantee the right to vote. All right. Well, how about we guarantee the integrity of that vote? Just no, 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 no. Besides, voter fraud is so rare. Well, that's great then. We can then. I don't know, legislate against it. And you wouldn't really have any problem with that, right? I love how they say, you know, uh, DeSantis was, not to bring this back to DeSantis, but DeSantis was just on 
and I played it the other day on the podcast. I pl- Ron DeSantis was interviewed or debated a reporter from NBC. Right? It was it was that that female reporter who honestly recounted how being around uh, what's his face John Fetterman he couldn't do small talk. And everybody on the left, including a whole bunch of her colleagues at NBC News, were like, no, I, I've interviewed him and he was perfectly fine. I don't know what she's talking about. She's like, no, he can't really engage in small talk because he can't understand people. No, I don't, I don't remember that. She's crazy. She, she must have interviewed a different person. And then you come to find out they were all lying. They were all lying. They were just protecting. They circle the wagons. They protect their own. Her name was Dasha Burns. It's just how the left operates. They hide things. They lie. They treat. They steal. They whatever. No, <laughs> we can't have voter integrity. Voter voter fraud doesn't happen. Okay, late term abortion. That interview with DeSantis. Late term abortion doesn't happen at all. It's so rare. Well, wait a second. It's rare, or it doesn't happen at all. It it, it literally cannot be both. All right. She started citing Planned Parenthood statistics, which, of course, you know, not necessarily the moneyed industry, the moneyed entity in the industry. And you start citing their statistics and say, uh, there's only 1.3% of abortions are in the last month or whatever it was she said. I'm like, okay, that's not none. That's not none. Is there a certain number of murders? You just kind of go, meh. That's just what happens. Like shrinkage. When you, if you've ever worked retail, everybody knows what shrinkage is. If you've ever worked in retail and you had to, like, I worked in many record stores when I was younger and record stores existed. And you'd have to stay late to do the inventory like every six months because they wanted to see how much stuff was being ripped off. And it was the worst. You'd run around with these little zap guns and you're hitting every barcode and everything in the store. And there's just yellow tags everywhere. He wanted to know what the shrinkage is. Well, is, is there a certain number of human shrinkage where you go, bah, it's just a rounding error. Yeah, there's a few hundred murders every year that we can just kind of look past. No, it's either you want zero or you want, uh, or you're cool with however many. You don't get to say that never happens. It's very rare. No. No, no. It's just like when they talk about the trans issue. I don't know why the Republicans are passing all these laws against children and surgery on children and genital mutilation of children. Nobody's out there mutilating the genitals of children. Well, then what's the problem with the legislation? If I introduced a bill to outlaw unicorns, would you stand up and give an impassioned speech about how dare I and who do I think I am outlawing unicorns? Aren't you just look at me going, you're really going to, there are no unicorns. You know this, right? All right, have, go ahead. Hold your hearings or go ahead, have your vote, whatever it is. I'll, I'll vote for it because why not? We'll all ban unicorns together. And you just kind of pat me on the head and go about your business. But these leftists know when it comes to things they tell you, they insist they're not happening. doesn't happen. And then why do you care? Hey, voter fraud doesn't happen anyway. All right, good. Then protecting against it is just innocuous, all right? There's a pretty good chance you're not going to be exposed to the flu. You still get a a flu shot, right? Ah, Just pay attention to what they do. What they say and what they do are usually wildly different. 
Anyway, back to this Fox story and a very transparent government that wanted us to know what was going on by trying to hide everything that our government was doing. Here, in the interest of transparency, here's this report from the government. Really? Yes, I have right here this report. It looks like somebody had a, a, a Sharpie that sort of broke on that piece of paper. It's all just blacked out. No, no, I mean, we're protecting sources and methods. Really? You got 15 paragraphs front and back of sources and methods in one document, and the only thing that's not classified is the date? And you're telling me that you're interested in transparency? Okay, sure, right. Well, that mentality strikes again. The Fox News reports, the House Select Committee that investigated the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021, failed to adequately preserve documents, data, and video depositions, including communications it had with the Biden White House that are still missing, according to the Republican lawmaker overseeing the GOP investigation into the committee's work. See, the committee, we have nothing to hide. Jamie Raskin up there with his cool little bandana. We're just about transparency. We must get to the bottom of this. We want the world to see what we're doing behind closed doors. Nobody ever said in the press. That seems a little bit weird. You sat down, you talked to, I don't know, Jared and Ivanka for 17 hours, and we've seen 12 seconds in a montage that your Hollywood producer friend that you hired at taxpayer expense put together. Is there any way we could maybe get that whole deposition? We just kind of see... I love the excuses. The excuses write themselves. Well, you know, we're the government, so we do things on the cheap. And so we used actual VHS cassettes. And we stored them right next to the uh, the junkyard. And when you know it, we stored them right next to the giant magnet that throws around the car, the cars. Uh, sorry. We, 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 we still have the 17 seconds, though, completely out of context. And since we are trustworthy Democrats quote Jamie Raskin and Adam Schiff, you can believe us when we tell you that everything else, the other 16 hours, and I'm trying to do the math here, 43 seconds that we have was was just chit-chat. It was just garbage. We were mostly talking about sandwiches. And the only thing that matters was that 17 seconds. So don't worry, you, you got it. <laughs> The now disbanded J6 committee, which was run by Democrats and included only two GOP members, nominal GOP members, has also failed to provide any evidence that it looked into Capitol Hill security failures on the day of the riot. Representative Barry Loudermilk, Republican of Georgia, chairman of the Subcommittee on Oversight for the Committee on House Appropriations, told Fox News Digital. Loudermilk said his staff has had difficulty gathering all the information it needs to investigate Representative Benny Thompson's handling of the J6 investigation. Shocking. With a name like Benny. And I'm sorry. It's just a matter of, matter of personal privilege. If your name is Benjamin or whatever, and Bernard, and you're going by Benny after the age of 12, there's something wrong with you. Just like if your name is Joseph and you want to be Joey till, I don't know, you're out of uh, college or college age. At a certain point, you become Joe, don't you? You don't become Joe. You're not in Friends. Anyway, quote, Part of our task as this oversight subcommittee is to actually address the security failures. Look into how it happened. 
How were these folks able to get into the Capitol, Loudermilk said. He said the documents they obtained came over in boxes and were completely unorganized. Quote, nothing was indexed. There was no table of contents indexed. Usually when you conduct this level of investigation, you use a database system and everything is digitized, indexed. We got nothing like that. We got raw data, he said. So it took us a long time to go through it. And one thing I started realizing is we don't have anything much at all all from the blue team, end quote. Because Democrats don't give a damn, they never did. It was about the cameras. It was about the show. They should subpoena Liz Cheney's rear end. She's in the area, still teaching college. now. Get her up there. Get her under oath and find out what the hell happened. Find out, because you're not going to, Benny Thompson isn't going to do that. He's a member for life. Adam Kitzinger will just cry through the whole thing, so there's no point in getting him under oath. Get Liz Cheney up there. She's so proud of the work that she did over there. Maybe she can explain why it is that it's such an unuser-friendly mess. Reminds me, actually, of the way Hillary Clinton turned over emails. The media never really focused on this, but you remember, they turned over Hillary's emails. How'd they do it? They turned it over on a flash drive. They turned it over on a flash drive. Now, did they digitally save all of her emails from her server onto that flash drive? No, they didn't. They digitally saved them all as one gigantic PDF, 30,000 emails as one gigantic PDF. Now, why would you do that? Because you wanted to make it as difficult as possible to go through for anybody who was inclined to go through them. They wanted to make it impossible to follow a thread of conversation, a chain of conversation. They wanted to make sure you couldn't do keyword searches. It was just one giant thing. And so here we go. We have complied with this. Hmm. Deleted 33,000 of them in the interest of transparency because it was all about yoga pants and how Bill just can't keep his hands off of Hillary and her yoga pants, I'm sure. And uh, she turned over everything else as one giant file. That was the least, the only way it could have been more user unfriendly is if it was translated into a dead language, right? Translated into a dead language. That's about it. That's how Democrats are. They don't want you to know what they're doing. They want you to know exactly what they tell you. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Anything after that is a scandal. Joe Biden, he's denied any wrongdoing. Well, that's good enough for Jamie Raskin and Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell and all the other dummies over there on the left. Oh, it doesn't matter. He's, the White House has denied it. There's not a shred of evidence. Well, what about that pile of evidence over there? It's not shredded. Well, it's, you know, that's different. It's just a father's love for a son. That's right. Every father who loves their son is involved in overseas six- and seven-figure wire transfers. I don't know about you. What kind of household did you grow up in that your father wasn't using his business ties to introduce you to people who would send you six- and seven-figure wire transfers and to members of, you know, the grandchildren? It's, it's, it's already a, a big enough question. Like, what the hell did the Bidens do that it, it warrants millions of dollars, tens of millions, they produce no good or service. They do provide nothing. But nobody ever goes, what does the Biden granddaughter that got 30 grand do? What does she do for that 30 grand? Anything? Exhale? Is that it? But that's cool. 
Nobody's looking into that. And anybody who looks into anything that Democrats do will find nothing but a muddled mess of things you won't be able to search through for years and years and years. And when you finally get through it and you find the smoking gun, you say, ah, look at this. They'll do what the Clintons always did, what the Clintons made famous. They'll say, you're still talking about that? That's such old news. Such old news. I want to shift gears now to the wildly historic Karine Jean-Pierre. Because as we watch Democrats gear up for the 2024 election, it's, it's really an interesting situation they find themselves. They have the unenviable task of trying to convince people that they don't know how good they've got it. That's a tough. That's a tough order to put. Yeah, you, yeah. You think your life sucks, but your life doesn't really suck. Why? You've got it so good now. The economy is booming, and this is what politicians of both parties never really seem to understand. The economy, the economic numbers, economic growth is good. If it's not hitting people at home, uh, around as they always say, around the kitchen table, it doesn't matter. That's what bothers me when I see these people talking about the uh, the stock market, right? The stock market. The stock market is up. Everybody should be happy. Republicans and Democrats try and go, oh, no, I'm so great or we're so great. Our policy is so wonderful. The stock market is up. And yes, tis true that most people through their 401ks or whatever, they have stocks. They don't think of themselves as being the... When you talk about the stock market, there's still that mentality... In your head, you see that image of the Monopoly guy twisting his mustache, maniacally laughing as he lights another Cuban cigar with a $100 bill. That's what you think of. It's Wall Street. It's the wolf of Wall Street. It's people people living like Hunter Biden lived, covered in hookers and blow. But they're all in it. So it does matter. Hey, the stock market is up. The stock market is down especially if you're on the verge of retiring. If you got, you know, 20 years, don't worry about it. It's going to be the dips. And that's how the rich people get richer. It's the bottom falls out for a little bit and everybody goes, sell, sell, sell. And the rich people sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch the stock price crash. You know what? I'm going to buy while it's down. And then it's going to go back up and I'm going to make money. And then everybody else goes, okay, get back in. Like, <laughs> yeah. You just gave me a whole bunch of commissions and you screwed yourself out of uh, 20%. Congratulations. But you feel good like you did something. So most people aren't active in the stock market. And so they don't think of themselves as being part of the stock market. But if you talk about the stock market as a unit of measure for economic success, you're going to lose people because of that. You're going to lose people because of that. Now, you want to talk about people and, and talk to people in a way that is going to matter to them talk about how you can't get out of a grocery store for less than 60 bucks it doesn't matter you're just going up there like you know what i need to go buy a couple of things for dinner tonight it's gonna be 60 bucks it wasn't 60 bucks uh, two years ago but thanks to joe biden it's 60 bucks well on its way to 80 bucks now when they're talking about inflation they're talking about it as Hey, it's going to take longer for it to cost a hundred bucks. So quit complaining. Like, okay, that's a tough sell right there. That's that's the best you got. They say you can't polish a turd, but uh, nobody says you can't try, right? Nobody says you can't try to do that. And so they end up saying, you know, things are inflation is down. Inflation is not down. 
Inflation is measured year over year. Things are up 12% compared to the were a year ago. And then they go, now it's another year and they're only up 5%. You go, oh, okay. Inflation is the rate of increase is slowly. They never say that. They say inflation is down. But realistically, it's 12% plus another 5% over the course of two years. If you think about it logically, like I say, everything Democrats argue completely falls apart. Completely falls apart. So when you are Karine Jean-Pierre, who already is... Um, how do we put this politely? Challenged when it comes to speaking, thinking, doing. She's very good at being historic. Let's just let's just focus on the positive for her. She's very good at being historic, mostly because it requires her to literally do nothing. But she is out there trying to sell Bidenomics, which is hilarious. You remember the audio from the video from, I don't know, about a month or two ago before Bidenomics, where they actually, try, you, don't, you don't want your name associated with nomics unless it's a good thing. But there's such, they got nothing. They got nothing. So they're like, well, let's just call it Bidenomics. And then anything good will say it's Bidenomics. Anything bad will say, well, that's still uh, because of the Trump administration, but anything good is Bidenomics. They're really trying to pull the Obama playbook off. If you remember the Obama administration, it was eight years of everything is George W. Bush's fault. Everything is, we're coming out of the worst economy ever. We've rescued you from the worst economy ever. And then you go, you never really got past 2% economic growth. Well, that's because Everything was terrible. We saved you. The economy has turned around. Well, the economy sucks. Well, that's because of uh, the guy before us. Well, did you save us then from... Well, uh, yes, we saved you. Then why are there... Pro How come these problems didn't exist when the guy before you was, you know, in office? Uh, it's different. It's one of those rare situations where you throw a big rock into a pond and then six years later you get the ripple and the splash. That's just, you know, that's how economics works. Don't ask any questions, please. Next question. <laughs> so now they're in a situation literally where they're trying to tell people, you don't know how good you've got it. You don't know how good you've got it. Why? Because the economy is, is growing or something and inflation is slowing and everything that you can't afford or couldn't afford two months ago, you still can't afford. It's just increased at a slower rate so you should elect the people who screwed you over in the first place, right? If you're a parent, a new parent, by the way, you notice if you've been to a grocery store lately, there's still a baby formula shortage. It doesn't get covered because there's literally no good way to spin it. There's no good spin to put on. But go to your grocery store. There's a little bit more baby formula than there was before, but there's still not shelves full of baby formula and a lot of places say we still have limitations on the amount of baby formula that you can buy and if you, god forbid you're looking for like sensitive stomach baby formula or baby formula for children with allergies or special digestive issues forget it you can't get that they just don't report on it because it makes joe biden look bad and more importantly to them because you know they don't they've almost given up on joe biden they've almost jumped ship 
it makes Secretary Mayor Pete look bad. Mr. Supply Chain, Mr. Goes on vacation or goes on paternity leave for two months and nobody notices. That guy. <laughs> He's the one who's supposed to, he was the one who's like announcing, we're flying in baby formula from everywhere. His kids that him and Chaston picked up, they, uh, they never went without baby formula. I bet you they didn't even really have to go to a couple of different Piggly Wigglies in order to try to get some baby formula. I bet you at the photo ops when Secretary Mayor Pete is there welcoming to a bank of cameras the planes from Australia. It's like, oh, here comes the baby formula. See, America, we're doing it. I bet you right off the back of that plane, he's throwing a couple of cases into the, the trunk of the car that he uses to haul his bicycle around so he can pretend to ride it. But anyway, I'm straying. Let us get back to Karine Jean-Pierre talking about how good people have it and they just they don't know it and see if uh, this any of this rings true to you here's the thing this is a president who has spent the last two years turning the economy around you hear us talk about binomics you just mentioned how we're doing this west uh, this kind of this west coast swing talking directly uh, to the american people about how wages are actually going up about how inflation is going down over a long extended period of time more than uh, more than uh, 12 months that is important and look you see <laughs> wages are going up you're now rich you're now rich well, that's absolutely true. If you're talking to the one person who lives in Florida who bought that one and a half billion dollar mega millions ticket, everybody else is kind of getting screwed. Everybody else. Inflation has gone down for the past 12 months. Wait, so we're in a period of deflation? Things are costing less as gas reapproaches $4 a gallon? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. See, again, they argue. If you can choose the unit of measure, you'll always come out ahead inflation is down. Now, inflation is increasing at a slower rate. But inflation has not given back what it has taken. Prices have not come down. It's still very expensive to go get a bunch of eggs. Still pretty damn expensive to go get milk. Go buy a steak. Go to the grocery store. And if you remember, or if you're a pack rat and you can just dig through your old piles of mail that you never threw away... Think about what sales prices used to be for various cuts of meat. The Safeways here, they've set up, it's now five ninety nine. It's this, uh, what is it, the sirloin steaks or whatever they are. I forget what they are. They're, they're fine steaks. They're good. They're not, you know, prime rib or anything like that, but they're, they're pretty damn good steaks. They're like an everyday, the top shelf everyday steak. They are uh, now $9.99 a pound, but Safeway has set the price till October or whatever it is, according to the, the sign in the store, they've locked the price in at five ninety nine a pound, which is good because it's regular price, $9.99 a pound. But two years ago, a good sale price on that was $3.99 a pound. We're not getting that two bucks a pound back, Corinne Jean-Pierre. And yes, they've locked it in until October. That's great. But what are you doing to knock it down from there? Well, the Fed is raising interest. Right, that's great. And you're doing what exactly? You're proposing spending even more money. You're sending Brinks trucks through the air over to Ukraine to dump out money like Hunter Biden at a strip club making it rain all over Ukraine constantly. 
No accountability, nothing. Proposing even more spending, imposing even more regulations, because you can't. They can propose more spending. They can't impose more spending, but they sure as hell can impose regulations. The president said, he did an interview with, uh, I should have probably cut this audio. He did an interview with uh, the Today Show, a very friendly interview. The the uh, Grand Canyon is the backdrop. And he's talking about, oh boy, howdy. He's done so much for the environment, for climate change, more than anybody. He's He's spent more money on climate. All his friends are getting filthy, filthy rich. How many of those companies do you think his degenerate son and loser brother consult for? Anybody even looking into that? Which cousin, nephew, niece, daughter, whatever, and the Biden family is rolling up into these monies, into this this industries. But don't worry. You don't know how good you've got it. When your argument is, yeah, things suck, but the other people would have made it worse you don't have a very good argument to make. It's kind of what Obama ran for on re-election, but Obama had something that Joe Biden never will. People liked him. People liked him, largely Democrats liked him because of his skin color. They always said, oh, he's so cool, he's so cool. But they really spent eight years patting themselves on the back going, I voted for the first black guy to be president of the United States. Really? Never got to 3% economic growth. Not one single quarter. That doesn't, it's probably racism. This country's horribly, wildly racist. Really? Because he won election both times by a wide margin. Seems like, I don't know, that kind of undercuts your argument that the country's wildly racist. I don't, I don't think many, clan, I mean, it's, it's a big overlap. The Venn diagram, since the vice president loves the Venn diagram of the uh, Democrats and Klansmen, so it's, it's almost too, it's just a concentric, concentric circle. They, I don't think the Klan's going to elect a black guy as their leader, the Grand Wizard of the Klan, Dave Chappelle. Why? Well, because he's just super funny and cares. It's just a lot of fun to be around. Huh, okay. That'd be an interesting take. But they would never say, I think if the Klan elects a black guy as the Grand Wizard, I would begin to think that maybe the Klan isn't the organization it used to be. Democrats want to pat themselves on the back. We elected a black guy. We're, so we voted for the black Okay, we're not a horribly racist country then? Oh, no, 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 no. We're a horribly racist country. Wildly, we're like the worst, the worst kind of racist country there ever could be. Disconnect again. They really do seem to live in disconnect land. So as these people get together and try to tell you why it is you've got it so good, no matter, despite all the evidence and everything you know, you're the one who pays your bills. Uh, remember that. And Corinne Jean-Pierre, by the way, she went on a take. This is a funny clip where she tries to explain why Joe Biden is so unpopular. She can't. Again, she's terrible at her job and she's trying to polish a turd, but she's historic. She's got that going for her. The latest CNN poll out just days ago showed that the Americans are pretty sour on the state of the economy. Uh, they think it's in a downturn or getting worse. About half of respondents, the president's approval rating for his handling of the economy is at 37%, 30% uh, on inflation specifically. From the White House perspective, why is there disparity between the good story, the narrative you think you have to tell, and how it's received by the American people? 
So a couple of things, Victor. Look, as we know, polls don't show everything. They don't tell the full story, as you just stated. And we have to remember, if you look at where we were back in the fall of 2022 during the midterm elections, when the president delivered a historic uh, midterms for uh, for Democrats, when we think about how, uh, as a as a Democratic president, he uh, delivered a victory that we hadn't seen in decades, right? And he led that messaging. Why is the president so unpopular? Why do people think he's horrible at inflation? Well, if you look back at the midterms, the election results were historic. Okay, speaking of non sequiturs, ham sandwich. Huh? She is just terrible, terrible at her job. If she didn't have that job, Republicans would desperately try to invent her to try and get her into that job. This is what she's exactly what happens when you hire somebody who can't do it, like merit. Where should we list merit on the, the list of uh, qualifications for the job? Nowhere, nowhere. Get get merit off there. That's ugh, no, no way. It's got to go. I realize there are five letters, but that's a four-letter word to we, the Democrats. God help us all. Since this just came out, I'll play it for you in a second, but Joe Biden has this reputation that he's given himself, I've talked about it regularly on, on my podcast, about... He's such a nice guy. He's just a middle-class guy. He's just an average Joe. He's just a guy, man. He's, oh, man, he just loves people. When he really is, if you've ever worked in the Senate, if you've ever been around people like this, you see them. He's a jerk. He's a diva. Joe Biden is worse than most people because he's been in, quote-unquote, public service his whole life. Never really had to worry about, you know, holding a he's he's safe right he's an idiot democrat elected in delaware and the delaware people just go yeah you know what he's uh, he's an idiot but he's our idiot and the rest of the country says well why didn't you keep him then why'd you have to inflict him on everybody else and so you sit there and you you ask him questions in any way shape or form if you challenge him he's like i'll challenge you to a push-up contest that's doesn't really tell me about your economic plan uh senator Uh, look fat Look, this you you dog-faced pony soldier. You're you're ugly. You're horrible. I'll take you out back. I'll corn pop you. Huh. Most famously, of course, 1987 when he was running for president the first time, and somebody asked him what kind of marks he got in um in law school. For for you young kids out there, marks are what old people used to call grades. And Joe Biden said, I better have a much higher IQ than you do. And he listed off all these accomplishments, none of which were true. None of them. I was the academic, excellent academic student. I was a graduate of the top of my class. Nope, nope. You were 76 out of 84. He is a complete fraud. So today out in Arizona, Peter Ducey gets a chance to ask Joe Biden a, president, a, a question. And the people around Joe, if you see this video, they tense up. You could have made... If you had a lump of charcoal, you could have made a diamond in the staffers around Joe Biden there the second Peter Ducey walked up and asked him a question. Now, this should not come as a surprise to anybody that somebody, particularly Ducey, would ask a question related to the news of the last month as Joe has dutifully done everything he could to run away from anybody with a press pass just on the off chance that they'd ask him about this. So... Ducey asks about, hey, you never talked to your son about his overseas business, but weirdly you're on your speakerphone. You're on speakerphone with your son a lot every time he had a meeting with 
his potential clients. Isn't that weird? Because I don't know about you. Uh, when I talk to family members, I always take family members' phone calls in the middle of business meetings. And I only do it on speakerphone because everybody needs to know what my wife needs me to pick up in the grocery store on the way home. It just wouldn't be a complete business meeting were it not for me finding out which kid uh, smacked which other kid. You know, just it's how adults in the real world function. Of course, it's sketchy. Of course, it's shitty. Of course, they're lying. That's what they do. They're Bidens. I give you my word as a Biden is about as worthwhile as a $3 nickel. So listen, not only to the question that Peter Ducey asked, but listen to the attitude and the anger in Mr. Nice Guy Joe. But now, Ducey isn't saying, look, Joe, you corrupt SOB, you liar, you fraud. We know you got rich. Nobody even said, hey, how'd you get so stinking rich in government? Nobody's ever asked him that question yet. I imagine he'd like go for their throat if he did. But he asks a question relevant to the news to at least half the country. Rachel Maddow might not give a damn about this, but Rachel Maddow represents about, well, she's the most popular host on MSNBC. Yeah, but she's on one day a week. She gets two to two and a half million people. Less than 1% of the population are really lining up going, I need my news from a very dour conspiracy theorist with a bull haircut. Otherwise, I can't take the news. She wouldn't ask the question, but Ducey did. People who watch her don't care, but the rest of the country have at least some curiosity. And you would think when you look at the polling data, as all the polls indicate, and like I say, polls about how you're going to vote in a year are worthless, but polls about the attitudes of the public at this moment are relevant because they let you know the attitude of the public at this moment. And polls are showing that the American public look at the Biden family and go, it's kind of weird that they don't do anything yet people pay them a ton of money. It's very odd. Because I don't think they're very... Look, there are some lobbyists in Washington, D.C. who get those, I'm on a monthly retainer for $45,000 from this industry just in case something great. Not very many people, but they do exist. So they're not looking at it weirdly. They're looking at it going, well, I hope they don't get rid of the no-show jobs. I hope that they uh, they keep the... I don't want to work for a living. I don't want to be productive. If we're suddenly going to demonize people who don't do anything noticeable or discernible for a living, I need to have a go bag, I suppose, by the Jaguar. But listen to this clip and listen to Biden's anger, anger at the question that a question that his staff should have prepared him for. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you... We're on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I've never talked business in anybody. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. Thank you, Mr. President. Because it's not true. Look, my polydent is wearing off my denture cream. It's, my teeth, my plates are slipping. It's, it's, it's not true. It's a lousy question. Then why are you so angry about it? What's really telling about the Biden family and the Democrats and the media is nobody's looking into this. Nobody is remotely looking into this. If there is 
nothing to hide, then why are these people acting as though there's something to hide? If these people have absolute confidence that Joe Biden is as pure as the wind-driven cocaine hunter used to snort off of his prostitutes, then why would they not throw open the bank records? Why would they not? Why would they not encourage? Look, journalists, go out there, dig into us. Go ahead, talk to everybody. I give carte blanche to everybody. Go ahead, talk to everybody. Take all the records you want. You're not going to find anything there because there's nothing there. Instead, you get. I knew you'd ask a lousy question. Well, Joe, I recognize that you probably don't have Fox News, where your head is normally residing, because you know. Actually, getting the cable up there would be easy, but the TV would be the issue. So you might not be aware of this, but you do have a bunch of highly paid staff who are supposed to be paying attention to what the hell is going on in the news and have you prepared for eventualities such as this one. You can't challenge Peter Ducey to a push-up contest because he'd mop the floor with you. You can't say you would want to step around the back of the barn and will fight because, again, he'd mop the floor with you. And you probably also don't know where you are, so there's that going for you. But some staffer probably should have said, hey, you know what? You know what really has been going on a lot lately? Remember Devin Archer, the guy you wrote this nice love letter to and met with a whole bunch of times and had dinner with and was in business with your son? He's saying that you lied when you said you repeatedly that you never talked to anybody about your business, about their business. Which, by the way, Purposeful ignorance is not an excuse for corruption. I told him never. I, I was Sergeant Schultz. Tell me nothing. I want to know nothing. Okay, so then when they do talk to you about things related to their business, trying to influence you, you have no idea. You've ordered them to keep you in the dark. That doesn't make you innocent. That makes you guilty. <laughs> it really does. Look, I, I want to hear your thoughts and things, but just don't tell me if it's related to your business. Oh, all right. Good. Where are you going to get the $20,000 a month you're going to charge Hunter for renting one of your estates in Delaware? Uh, I don't know where he got it. I don't know anything about it. Is that money laundering? Because, you know, you didn't have a mortgage. So, like, why were you charging your son so much in rent? Uh, fair market or something. Shut up, bigot. This is the president of the United States. I never talked. He's still sticking with the lie. We have evidence we have people under oath swearing they talked to joe biden about the business they have evidence of a letter that he wrote as vice president and signed with a nice personalized note thanks for hanging out with my degenerate son or something like that and going into business with him there you go right there we have emails we have text messages we have phone records we have him showing up to dinners you don't call up your son and say, hey, what are you doing for dinner tonight? We both live in the same city. What are you doing for dinner tonight? Oh, I'd love to have dinner with you, Dad, but I can't. I'm having uh, I'm having dinner at Cafe Milano with some Eastern European toughs that I'm hoping to bilk out of almost a million dollars a year. Oh, all right. I love Cafe Milano. I'll just swing by. I'll be out. You won't even know I'm there. That's not how president and vice president meetings happen the pre it really doesn't happen with the president but it's the same thing as an active vice president there is an advanced team that checks out the restaurant now maybe they don't give everybody a colonoscopy if they're in a private room which they were they would not 
necessarily bother with the front of the restaurant because the vice president would enter through a back entrance somewhere. And most likely the people in the restaurant, unless they were astute observers of people in suits and earpieces, wouldn't notice that there was somebody there under Secret Service protection because there would be at least one or two people in the main dining room just sitting there just in case somebody sketchy was there, something went down. But the people in the room with the vice president, you don't get to just be in the room with the vice president, whether you're with their kid or not. Especially if you're a foreigner. They want to know who they are. They want to make sure they're not carrying weapons. The people in the kitchen through which the president or vice president would have to walk if they went in the back entrance, they too would get a thorough wanding. And they too would be given a heads up. Hey, stay away from this area. He's coming through in two minutes. Everybody stay back. That's how it works. I know we're used to the spin. We're used to the show. In the Obama administration, they did a whole bunch of this stuff where Barack would hop into the presidential limo and head off to Arlington to pick up five guys for the staff at the White House. Oh, let's get burgers for everybody. And there he is ordering five guys like, yeah, I'll take uh, however many burgers and orders of fries. And they're all like, oh, this is wonderful. That was, to steal an old Dennis Miller joke, that was as choreographed as the Oswald prison transfer. The Secret Service had been there all day. They made sure the food wasn't messed with. It was planned out long in advance. The people in there, you don't get to just hang out and take selfies with the President of the United States because he showed up. That's not how reality works. They're not going to let somebody who may well have a weapon on them just kind of willy-nilly hang with the president because he wanted a hamburger. That's not how it works. But people saw that and thought, oh, that's cool. So when you hear he went to Cafe Milano for dinner, he didn't just pop by. It was planned. The vice president doesn't just decide, hey, you know what? I'm feeling a bit peckish. Let's go to a restaurant. Phone calls have to be made. Arrangements have to be made. What if they couldn't accommodate him? So spare me this crap. I never talked business with my son. Never? You never talked business with your son, ever. Then why'd you get rich off of it? How'd you get rich off of it? How did you get rich? That'd be the next question if Peter Ducey were allowed a follow-up question, rather than the crotchety old man going, because it's not true. Of course, this will be a moment enshrined forever over at MSNBC and CNN. The president once again denied the conspiracy theories. And that's the extent of, well, the president denied it. Donald Trump denies things. That's never enough for them. It's never enough for them. Any Republican denies things. That's never enough for them. But suddenly a Democrat denies something for which there is a growing mountain of evidence and they all become blackjack dealers in Vegas at shift change. Oh, the president has denied it. All right. They clap their hands together, put it up, nothing up my sleeve, and they slowly back away from the table and wish everybody good luck. And that's it. They just go away. Never again to broach the subject because they understand that the key to their professional success, if they is to believe the left-wing spin, or at least not question it. Where Joe's head is firmly planted, where he doesn't apparently get cable, 
pretty much every member of the press except for Peter Ducey and maybe Phil Wegman from Real Clear Politics, they have condos up there. They live up there. You really want an in-depth report on what Joe Biden had for dinner yesterday? New York Times, Washington Post, White House correspondents are the place to get that information firsthand. Since we're talking about how horrible a president Joe Biden is and how they're trying to polish the turd that is his economic record, I found this rather amusing. Do you know who Billy Porter is? You probably don't know who Billy Porter is unless you watched any award show. I don't know that Billy Porter's ever won an award, but for some reason he gets like all the attention. And they always, the next day, you want to know how left-wing Hollywood is and how left-wing, I mean, you think that the political media is terrible, and they are, don't get me wrong, they're god-awful terrible. The only form of journalism that is worth is, it worse is entertainment journalism. It is, you almost feel bad, I mean, if they weren't horrible people, you'd feel badly for them, but they just embarrass themselves they prostitute themselves for access they you watch interviews and they're like oh smiling oh you're someone who are you wearing oh it's wonderful oh you're terrible these are vapid people they did that you go back and you watch any red carpet interview with somebody like uh, uh, harvey weinstein right harvey weinstein produced a lot of movies it got a lot of nominations and you go back and you watch the interviews and they're all like, oh, Harvey, you're just so Harvey. It's oh, wonderful. You did such a great job with this movie. I mean, the actress in it is now currently in institutionalized, needing serious mental help from what you did to her. But, you know, the movie, the film, what, what's up on the screen is just uh, magnificent. I mean, it was the worst kept secret, they always said, that Harvey Weinstein was a sexual predator. But every time anybody with a press pass got near him, it's all oh, Harvey. You're just, it's just Harvey being Harvey. I couldn't help but notice you getting out of the limo and, and shoving what appeared to be like a 12-year-old girl in the trunk of your limo. That's just Harvey being Harvey. Well, there's a lot of people now in Hollywood who get a, a similar treatment, not for the same reasons. It is, they get favorable treatment. If you come out, if you just recently came out or transitioned, boy, howdy, they go crazy. And if you wear a, if you're a man who wears a dress on the red carpet, forget about it. You're, you're reminded they're going to give you the keys to the city. Because that's how they roll. That's what Billy Porter is. Billy Porter is a gay man who wears ball gowns to award shows. It's unclear why Billy Porter is in you know, given a seat at the award show. It seems like, you know, people nominated should get them. But he goes to more war. I mean, maybe most people just go, I don't want to go. And they've got Billy Porter there as a glorified seat filler. But you'd be hard pressed to really know, like, recognize Billy Porter's work unless you watch, like, the only thing they list in this story, what is it? It's um, the FX series Pose which is about trans people in fashion or something like that. I forget what it was. They made a big stink out of it when it got canceled. Like, oh, but it's so historic. Like, yeah, but nobody watched it. Is it a business or is this not a business? But, uh, oh, Pose was so wildly, wildly, wildly historic. Well, Billy Porter, the darling of the left-wing Hollywood press, is having some difficulty paying his bills because of the strike out there in Hollywood. 
Now, that probably won't solicit elicit tears from you. But I do just want to make you aware of it. This story from the Hill newspaper. Actor Billy Porter claimed over the weekend that due to the sag after strike, he asked to sell his house. In an interview with the Evening Standard published Sunday, Porter told the news outlet that he has to refinance his values due to the strike, adding that he was scheduled to work on several film and TV projects next month. Quote, yeah, because we're on strike and I don't even know when we're going to go back to work, Porter told the British outlet, the Evening Standard. The life of an artist until you make F.U. money, which I haven't made yet, is still check to check. End quote. He's got to sell his house. Now, the Hollywood strike has been going on for what? A month? Six weeks, maybe? And Billy Porter has to sell his house? Now, don't cry for him, Argentina. I, I, the internet exists. And so I looked it up. Just put in Billy Porter net worth and you get a whole bunch of pictures of him in capes and gowns and everything and then it says oh billy porter net worth total value of his fortune so billy porter is known to many as a remarkable talent in the spheres of acting singing and fashion not really sure i don't know him as any of those things but whatever stands tall in hollywood with an impressive list of achievements apparently balancing a checkbook or living within his means is not one of them But what's the figure behind Billy Porter's success? As of 2023, his net worth is an estimated $5 million. This figure has been built over years of dedication in various creative fields, including acting music and his unique clothing line. Now, if he designs clothing anywhere close to what he wears to award shows... I don't think there's a whole lot of income coming. I mean, maybe he charges a fortune for that. I don't know. But generally, you're not making up volume and quantity what you're foregoing in each individual sale. It would be the other one. But you have five million bucks. He's known for roles in Kinky Boots, Miss Saigon, and the TV series Pose. His social advocacy is a vocal supporter of the LGBTQ plus rights and Black Lives Matter and an investor in cannabis. Was he using $1,000 bills to roll up his joints and smoking them? I don't know. How do you need to sell your house after a six-week strike where you were worth $5 million? Again, I, I can't bring myself to, to care. I just find it amusing. I guess I care in a different way. It's schadenfreude, the same way I sort of cared about the women's soccer team. I didn't really, I wasn't actively rooting against them per se, although, I don't know, if you hook me up to a polygraph test, I might have to say that I was. But I didn't cry when Megan Rapinoe missed it. How do you miss the net? How do you miss the net on a penalty kick? It's the biggest goal in all of sports. It's huge. I'm not sure from where the penalty thing is. If I were required to kick the ball in that general direction, but not hit the net, that I could do that. I don't know how you not score. But she missed it. Of course, I don't get paid $7 million a year for my soccer abilities like Megan Rapinoe does. My belief, my uh, town hall column on Thursday is 
uh, about engaging in schadenfreude with her, by the way, because it's absolutely justified. She had no business being on that team. She was too old. It wasn't that she wasn't good in her time. It was that she acted like she was still good. She took a seat, a spot away from somebody else. Even if she was on the team, why was she on the field at the end of that take that penalty kick? I bet you the coach was terrified to not have her out there because the question would have been if that was her last game, if the U.S. lost, why did Megan Rapinoe not get into that last game? She's the most famous women's soccer player out there. Nike demands that she be out there. So they put her out there. They took somebody who could do the job off the field. They kept somebody else who could do the job better off the field. And they put her out there. Worse, she let it happen. In the column, I actually compare her to Bill Buckner. When Bill Buckner let the ball go between his legs in 1986, I think I think the manager of the Red Sox at the time was McNamara. can't remember his first name. Robert McNamara, maybe. But uh, I think it was McNamara anyway. And uh, he, Buckner was hobbled. Buckner was hurt. I think he had a pulled hamstring. It was he, couldn't run he just kind of limped around but the manager wanted him to be out there on the field when the Red Sox won when they then they clinched when it was over so he kept him out there in the ninth inning when he shouldn't have been he should have been pulled I'm sure Bill Buckner wanted to be out there but I doubt Bill Buckner would have said come on what are you doing I can no the coach admitted that he decided he wanted him out there he knew that he couldn't didn't have the mobility, and he couldn't bend down to pick up that ball. Which, by the way, the game was, had already been tied. They'd already lost. You can't be all that mad at Bill Buckner, although you can be. you got to be mad at the pitching and the coaching decisions of the team. But that's beside the point. Megan Rapino knew that her value, her income, was going to drop dramatically after the World Cup. She'd been so polarizing that if she's not playing her sport, who's going to make Nike will throw her a million or two, but it's, she's not going to get the seven million she's making now. She needed some shot at glory. She needed something. Every game she got in, she was terrible in. She was a non-entity. If she were a leader, a leader would have taken herself off the court. A leader would have said, or the pitch, sorry. A leader would have said, you know what, coach, don't put me in, coach. Put in, Don't put somebody who's 41 in there to run around or however old she is with scraggly prison-looking tattoos that are random and terrible and stupid on your arms. Put in somebody who's like 23 years old, who can run fast, who has the hunger, the desire for the game, the desire to win for the team rather than the desire to make sure that you get at least one more calendar year of sponsorships. She went out there and she she tanked it. She makes that goal. It's pretty much game over, I think. America would still be playing. Anyway, since we're talking about her, I want to play you this um, this clip of somebody called Katie Lennon. This was at a public hearing up in New Hampshire where they are debating another trans bill basically a don't cut the genitals off of children bill katie lennon is a girl who at one point in her pubescence declared herself to be a boy 
because of other problems. And then went further down the rabbit hole. I don't want to steal too much of the thunder from Katie Lennon. Her story is wildly important and horribly tragic simultaneously because there was no adult there that stopped it. It was no concerned adult to come in and stop it. The parents, I assume, were you know terrified of you can either have a uh, a live son or a dead daughter sort of mentality that these leftist groomers push on everybody. They desperately want people to be terrified. They need people to be terrified. It's the only way their policies get anywhere is if you're scared. You're either going to come after you or you're going to cause some sort of horrible thing to befall someone you care about. But listen to Katie Lennon tell her story. And this is why these laws have to be enacted everywhere and why it is that it really demonstrates the evil that Democrats have become a tool of. And I live in Lowell, but I work, worship, and do business in Nashua. And so I'm an active community member of the 603, and I'm here in support of SB 272 today. So like many children and teens today, I identified myself as transgender for years. And when I started to feel confused and ashamed about my developing body, I asked everyone in my life to call me by a new name and use male pronouns to refer to me. So in other words, I went through a social transition from female to male. Everyone in my life immediately affirmed my new identity, either out of full support for it or just to stay neutral and not cause any issues. But the constant affirmation, both active and passive, solidified me in my transgender identity. No one meant to lock me into an identity that would later leave me broken, ashamed, and more confused than before. They were really all just being nice. But the social transition eventually wasn't enough, and I soon felt I needed to take testosterone. And when that wasn't enough, I had a double mastectomy. And when that still wasn't enough, I had a total hysterectomy, including the removal of my uterus, cervix, fallopian tubes, and both ovaries. There's no point of contentment during a gender transition. We get fleeting moments of euphoria, but ultimately one step leads straight into the next. And I thought that in the end I could really become a man, but all I became was a mutilated and abused version of my old self. Social transition is a big deal and we're lying when we say that any of this is reversible. This is a big decision with lifelong consequences and New Hampshire doesn't even require that parents be involved. If the roles of mother and father don't include authority over the emotional, social, and physical future of their children, the roles no longer mean anything. Like me, transgender identifying youth have a high risk for depression. The Trevor Project, which is an LGBT advocacy group, reports that 45% of LGBT teens have seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. More than half of that number is transgender identifying youth. Teachers and school administrators are mandated reporters, and if a child suspected to be four times more likely to attempt suicide than the other students his age, his parents have a right to know, and SB 272 will ensure that parents are notified if their children are identifying with a high-risk community and will allow the parents to decide the next best step for their child. Please vote in support of SB 272. It's a horrible story. It's a tragic story. It's becoming all too common. And it's going to be common in places like California and New York where they're going, no, we must insist that this is in Portland and Washington State where they're going to strip parents of their rights, of their responsibilities, of everything. They're going to replace it with government. That's what happens. That's what these people do. But these very same people who pat themselves on the back to the point that they need Tommy John surgeries, they've been patting themselves on the back so hard about how progressive they are, they ignore Every single person like Katie Lennon, not even allowed to study it, can't know how many people 
have this experience. We don't know what the success rate or suicide rate is. They don't want to know the data. They don't want you to know the data, which really kind of lets you know everything you need to, doesn't it? Okay, that's about enough for today. Don't forget about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Appreciate you listening. Download and share and tell a friend went long today. Do it again long tomorrow. And then uh, the week in effing review and all that good stuff. Appreciate you. Thank you. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>